Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening, and welcome to the Wednesday night Bible study of the Blessed Hope Community Church. And also, we want to welcome you uh, to this show because this show is dedicated to the believing community. And by that, I mean those who have received Jesus Christ into their lives as their savior. Now, I'm going to present tonight uh, Jesus as the bread of life from the Gospel of John. Uh, We're going to be taking a look at chapter 6. But what do those words really mean? Uh, The bread of life. So our study is going to focus on these words and what this message has for believers today uh, who are facing uh, quite horrific trials in different locations around the world. Uh, Believers are being attacked universally for their faith and because uh, of who they are and whose they are. And so... uh, the church is in crisis, and the shaking of the foundation, as spoken of in the book of Hebrews, is here. And it is God who is shaking the foundations, so that only that which is eternal remains. Now, in the Gospel of John, uh, we we do not have uh, uh, well Jesus presents himself uh, as the as God's messenger through uh, through narratives and these very powerful narratives <clears throat> uh, portray a, a very uh, very important pictures of the Lord Jesus for us and so with that let us have a word of prayer. And then we'll begin our study for this evening. Father, we thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. We thank you, Lord, that we have a so great salvation and that we know you, we know your son, we know what he has done for us. And so, Father, we want our eyes to be focused upon you. We want our hearts to be focused upon you because of what you have done for us. Jesus died for our sins, and Lord, we know this. And so we have been given eternal life, and we thank you for this wonderful gift. In Jesus' name, amen. So
So the Gospel of John, so the Gospel of John, uh, that is the date of this Gospel. Uh, it was written between AD 90 and AD 100. And uh, the emphasis is the Judean ministry of Jesus. Jesus is the revelatory word. He is the word of revelation. And so there are no parables in the Gospel of John. Uh, rather, discourses are emphasized. And in the prologue, that is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, um, we have, well, we call it the faith-producing uh, impact of, of the public ministry of Jesus. So, uh, and then it is from, well, in John, John chapter 1, verse 5, we read, quote, the light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it, and uh, unquote. Now, that's a very different <clears throat> reading than uh, from the King James Version. The King James reads, and the darkness does not overtake it. Uh, and so I like what the, uh, the King James states because it is closer uh, to, the, to the manuscript reading from which uh, it, it was translated. And not that uh, the one that I, the Bible I'm reading tonight, but the darkness has not understood it. That that does not bring in, or it, that translation isn't sufficient to bring in the, uh, the 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 decisive impact of the word and who Jesus is. <clears throat> Remember uh, the in, in Genesis chapter three. We have the first home invasion, and the home invasion succeeded in that it overthrew and destroyed both the man and his wife. Their, both of their lives were ruined by sin. Uh, in Genesis 3, we have the verbs take, eat, uh, and this is what the enemy said to the uh, to them in the garden and it is important to note that those very verbs would not be used again until Jesus used those those words in the upper room when he said take so the divine plan took time to unfold and <clears throat> if you read the old test the history of the Old Testament and you read about God's people, you, you will read about God's plan. You will read about the failure of God's people, but you will never read about the failure of God because God, God never fails. God cannot fail. And God has a covenant with his people that is irrevocable. God does not go back on his word. God... Uh, we'll see uh, that his we'll see that his word is fulfilled. He knows what he must face in time with regard to his people, because what he what is unfolding in time is what God already knew or knows in eternity. 
And so we have to get that understanding uh, in, in our spirits that God already knows. God already knows. The knowing of God is present tense. Okay? God's knowing does not unfold over time. That's the way our knowing and our understanding unfolds over time uh, or uh, some would say over a, a timeline. So there are believers who remain babies, nikioi. There are believers <clears throat> who grow for a certain period of time, and then uh, that growth stops. And uh, the growth doesn't merely stop, and what happens is that they begin to reverse. And so they become reversionary and uh, until they repent, uh, their lives aren't going to go right. I'll just put it that way. They're going to encounter many problems uh, around the ego because they have allowed the ego uh, uh, to have its reign in their lives. And so they're going to fall into sins that are of, of their making. And so they're going to become their own worst enemies because they are not in fellowship with God. On the other hand, there are the maturing believers who are growing up in the faith once we're all given to the saints. These believers uh, have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. They grow and they grow up, they will face uh, oppositions of the world, the flesh, and the devil, but they will do so from divine viewpoint. And God will guide them, and God will bless them, and these believers will suffer for Christ, and they will also experience temporal blessings along the way. On the way to what? Their way to, to, uh, uh, to maturity, uh, in Christ, there's and so they will keep on maturing in the faith because they have decided that they are going to focus solely on the person of Christ. That is, we say they are occupied with the person of Jesus. So, uh, in John chapter one, uh, when Jesus meets uh, Simon, this is in John one forty one. We read, quote, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now, we have the words of Jesus. Jesus looked at him and so and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cassus, which, when translated, is Peter. And so Cassus uh, is a word of Aramaic origin. And, uh, and, it, and it means uh, something uh, that is hard, that is hard, that, is, uh, that, is, that resembles hair. The word Peter or Petros means a stone, a rock, a ledge, or a cliff. Uh, and so uh, Jesus begins, he, uh, when Jesus meets 
Peter or or he meets Simon, he knows his destiny. He knows the unique destiny that he has for him. And so uh, note the verb, Jesus looked, emblepo is the verb. And so it means to look uh, at with the mind, to look at with the mind. And here in summary, we have Peter's divine biography. The new name motif is introduced because here Peter has a new beginning. And I need you to understand this because by the time we get to John chapter 6, well, I just don't want to go into chapter 6 and read, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The events that unfold during uh, the public ministry of Jesus, that is, they are the manifestation of the Christ event. The Christ event is, is God's living answer to the human condition. And so Jesus is that answer. And so notice what Jesus said to Peter. You are state of being. And then Jesus go, goes on to say, you will be. So he knows where he is going to take him. And Peter is going to earn a degree in experiential Christology. He's going to uh, learn something uh, very important about, about some things very important about himself and about his Lord. So Peter gets to see uh, himself through the, the, the mirror of Jesus. And Peter's going to see what Jesus sees. He's going to grow up. And when Peter sees himself and he sees his failure, uh, he's going to think that, well, I'm going to walk away. Uh, there is the shame uh, because there, uh, before that, there there was the uh, verbato. Uh, Though all forsake thee, I never will. And then Jesus told him what happened. And so uh, this was within Peter's heart. And Jesus knew that Peter had to reach that point in his spiritual walk, that is, uh, in his div- uh, divine biography. God knew he would reach that point. God knew his end. God knew uh, at what point uh, how much strain and stress P- uh, Peter could take before what he believed about himself through his ego would break. And don't you know God has to do that with all of us? There is the bravado, there is our divine biography, <clears throat> there are things we believe about our faith and about ourselves. But when we are tested by God, we get to see who and what we really are. <clears throat> well, Josiah, 
okay, what does that have to do with the bread of life? Okay. So as we move on, in chapter 2, Jesus changes water to wine. And so we see that what Jesus wants for our lives is quality. Quality matters to Jesus. What he wants to give to us is a life that is qualitatively powerful. What the enemy does not want you as a believer to have is a life that is qualitatively meaningful and powerful. Next time the enemy whispers to you something pornographic, something illegal, something uh, that uh, makes you believe that, well, if you take this road, no one will know. Or you can deceive here, and no one will find out. Remember the revelation that we have within the scriptures about the devil. Notice what he did to that home in Genesis 3. And notice what God had to do. God had to destroy life in order to cover the man and his wife. Sin always has a price. And so we learn from the scripture, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or that should be forgiveness of sin. And so in Genesis 3, we have what we call uh, the first mention of the coming of Christ. He would come to shed his blood. He would come to die on our behalf. The next time the enemy whispers to you, just say to him, I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. It is important that we do that. I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. In Genesis 4, excuse me, in John 4, Jesus uh, meets with the Samaritan woman. And Jesus meets her at a well. And so he, he sends his disciples away because he knew what their attitude was toward the Samaritans. The Samaritans were considered racially mongrel. But the gospel, you see, is not for uh, only for God's chosen ones. It is also for the Gentiles or the nations. And so uh, Jesus broke social protocol by talking to this woman. And then uh, he exposes her sin. He intrudes upon her life lie. He intrudes upon her sin. She becomes defensive and flippant because he has touched her spot. He knows her lie. But then 
through this in- encounter with Jesus, we learn uh, of the woman with Jesus. We learn that all secrets must come out before Jesus. All lies confessed and given up. So she was religious, but notice how religion gets in the way of true Christian living. She said, this is where my people worship. And Jesus did not come there to talk about religion. He came to expose where she was. She knew what her life was like. And she was, uh, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. And she had an, uh, an unresolved problem within her soul that, must be ex- that needed to be exposed and dealt with before she could taste the living water that Jesus offered. So he challenged her, and we see this, uh, we see Jesus, this approach all through his public ministry, that he, he would challenge uh, the beliefs that people held on to, the social beliefs, their, ritual, their, uh, their religious beliefs. He challenged them. And he was relentless, but he was also merciful. So he exposed her, and she said, I, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she uh, wanted that living water that he offered. So she received the water from Jesus so that uh, she would never thirst again. When we get to chapter 6, so <clears throat> Jesus says these words in chapter 6. I'm beginning uh, at verse 52. Quote, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Of course, speaking of Jesus. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am him. Listen to the profound language. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. So now notice the the language Uh, is difficult for people. And, but I want you to know that he is speaking to a group of people uh, that have struggled uh, with him. In chapter 5, verse 
41, Jesus said, I do not accept praise from men. I do not accept praise from men. So note the language. Note his attitude. So Jesus was not given to approbation lust. That is, uh, the lust of applause or the crowd. His life was completely and radically ego-less. Ego-less. And so when Jesus said, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink, there was no self-flattery or ego in those words. Jesus was stating reality. And so he does it in a, in a concrete form. Uh, and there's no pseudo-intellectual posturing uh, also within the person of Jesus. He is the incarnation of truth. And so he speaks as the Logos. He speaks as the mind. He speaks the mind of God with regard to the human condition, with regard to sin. Sin is real. Uh, the cosmos is designed in such a way so that we will do what? Turn our eyes away from the reality of sin so that people can do uh, their terrible deeds in darkness because they don't want the light of what they really do. Uh, they don't want the light to expose them. Paul wrote, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather expose them. Do you know how many times I've heard that expounded upon? I can count on one hand and have three fingers left. Because it is not, uh, these words are not popular. But these are, this is the teaching of the scripture. And so, uh, so when Jesus speaks to uh, to people uh, to the people and he says, well, and then in verse fifty six of chapter six, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Well, what is he saying? Well, eternal life, the life that God has for us, means that what? Uh, it doesn't mean that God hands out to me a little portion of everlasting life. And that's not what it means. The life that we receive that is called eternal life is God's own life. God's own life. Peter wrote that we have been made partakers of the divine nature. We have a conjoint relationship with Christ. That is incredible. That That is radical. And so the new life that we have is called Zoe, Z-O-E in the Greek, Zoe. And so uh, someone has defined it as the highest blessedness of the creature. That's us. That is what we possess. We have this wonderful relationship with God. We're and we should be in constant fellowship with him. If I'm in constant fellowship with God, that means that uh, I have 
my relationship with him is unbroken because of sin. Because when there is a sin, I do not attempt to hide it, uh, hide it or to hold on to it or to say, well, I don't need to confess this to God now. When you're in constant fellowship with God, what happens? You don't want darkness to move in. You don't want that stuff, uh, that, that which darkness is about, to invade your life because it is a pre- – darkness is a malignity. It's malignant. And so uh, the darkness, when believers give darkness an opportunity, then the darkness is going to seek to take over your spiritual life. And as a believer, you really don't want it. Now, I read and I hear about believers. Some I don't, I don't know if some of these people were real believers, but who tried to uh, have a public persona, uh, uh, well, I'm of the faith, but they had this private life that was filled with all types of sin. You know, one of the consequences or symptoms of sin in spiritual psychology is deception because no one pulled this off. You will find that the private intrudes upon the public and the public intrudes upon the private because self-deception does that. And the individual is so deceived and distorted by self-deception that he or she does not realize that they are speaking from a position of distortion. And so they're in and so they're spiritual contortionist. One can tell from their language and their body language that they are not relaxed. A relaxed individual and by, by that I mean a believer who's not hiding sin, playing with sin. A relaxed believer, uh, when a believer ha- uh, does not have sin in his, his or her life, that person is relaxed. And that person has a different, the body language is different. And you can see it. And when they, the way they talk, speak, act, everything is different because they're in fellowship with God. But when an individual is attempting to hide or there are subtle, there are subtle stress cues that they are not aware of. And so the stress cues give them away. But they have successfully said to themselves, well, see me, no one knows what's going on. And so that's the life lie. When you feed upon the person of Jesus, you come to understand that, oh, I am whole. There's a word in James chapter 1 that speaks about a person, a believer, who having uh, at some point deviated from the plan of God, had fallen at some point, and yet, this person recovers spiritually and begins to grow up in the faith 
and matures as a believer. It is a very powerful word, <clears throat> and it bespeaks the way uh, the way God uh, ministers to His own. You never read or see in the uh, in the uh, in in the the biography of Paul. We see that how Paul fed upon the bread of life, and Paul confessed. His failure. But then that failure <clears throat> as a persecutor of the church did not color his life. When Paul came to Jesus, Jesus Christ became his focus and his, and his occupation. He was occupied with the person of Christ. To such an extent that Paul could say, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. For me to live, to live Christ, die gain. Paul's life was incredibly wealthy. In, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 2 through 14, are one long sentence in the Greek. Paul is spirit-filled. He is joyful. Paul, through the power of the Spirit, began uh, as he was writing down uh, what the Holy Spirit wanted him to write for the church, he was so spirit-filled and, and so wonderfully motivated to do so, he just kept on writing. It is a beautiful testimony to what grace is. And what grace does. And so this is what it means to what? Understand or, or to know Jesus as the bread of life. The manna in the wilderness temporarily satiated hunger. But that manna, or in the Hebrew, man who, what is it? only pointed to Jesus. And so Jesus is God's manna from heaven. He is our manna. We feed on him. We constantly feed on him because nothing else will satisfy. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If we feed on Jesus, we're never going to hunger again forever. And it's beautiful. The language is beautiful the way it is laid out in the Greek text. I am the bread, the life is the way it reads. The bread, the life. And notice there's no nothing about relativism uh, in the speech of Jesus. Jesus never said, I am one way, I am a way because there are the possibility of other ways or roads, hodas in the Greek. He never says that. I am the way, the only way. In contradistinction to all others, I alone am the bread of life. And as the, the logos of God, why should he compromise? 
Jesus said, I receive not the approbation of men. I receive not the praise of men. Think about that statement. He didn't want that stuff in his spirit. Well, if they said, I'm something, I must really be something. You see where it goes? I must really be this. And therefore, his his life, the life of the inner spirit of Jesus, was not filled with junk. Just think what would happen to us if we say, well, I'm going to stop listening to what people say, and I'm only going to listen to what God says. How much further alone Uh, along in life we would be, when you allow the words of people to build you up, the words of people can also tear you down. Why? Because you have built your life upon sand. What What people give, people can take away because you have allowed them to have this power in your life. I receive not the praise of men, said Jesus. And so the and so we go to verse sixty in uh John seven it reads, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? See that in Acts chapter 1. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. So he stops there. The words that I speak unto you are spirit. Our life. So this is the power uh, of the living word of God and what Jesus brings. Listen, when the Holy Spirit spoke to you, time you were saved. That was only by the power of God. And the Bible uses some very interesting words. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draw him. No no one can come to me unless the Father draw him. Interesting language, isn't it? So I go and look in the Greek at that word, uh, draw, and it means it means to drag. It means to drag. And so the word salvation in the New Testament means to drag out and away from danger. No man can come to me unless the Father draw him or drag him. That's the real language. And that is what uh, the Bible teaches us about us. Look, we need God. We need the work of God uh, in our lives on a moment-by-moment basis. In John six fifty one, Jesus wrote, Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give 
for the life of the world. And so those are, this is the promise of God. Do you want eternal life? And if you have eternal life through Christ, Paul wrote to believers, lay hold of eternal life as the bread of life. And if we know Jesus as the bread of life, and if we feed on him, that is, if we allow him to nurture us spiritually and we get away from the cosmos, we stop allowing the cosmic system to nurture us and nourish us because the nourishment from the cosmic system is a lie. It's deception. It is, and it, it is presented in a positive way to, uh, in order to overthrow you. So the deception is hidden. Well, it is for your own good. It is for your well-being if you do it this way. If you have it this way, if you allow it this way, God, we read in the scriptures, God is not a man that, that he should lie. God cannot lie. And God wants you to feed upon the person of Jesus. Think about the days in which we live. We hear that there are supply chain problems. We read about the train derailments uh, in Los Angeles. We read about the severe weather in the uh, east and in the south. We read, uh, uh, we see the rising gas prices. And there are some other things that are coming down uh, that we need God. And we need to feed upon Jesus. We need to be able to hear the Holy Spirit so we will know how to live in these evil days. I really do want you to read your Bibles. I really do want you uh, to read the Gospel of John and learn that when you have single vision, your eyes have been clean with the eye salve of salvation. You have single vision. And that vision is fixed upon the person of Jesus. You will grow strong in every area of your life. Your mind, your spirit, physically, because you are a whole. You are a unitary being. We have a holistic salvation. You will grow up and you will find that God will do wonderful things when you are abiding in him, when you are feeding upon the sun, when you align God to have greater access to you spiritually. You will reap wonderful benefits. And so please read Psalm 1, and the psalmist there talks about meditation, meditating upon the word, and what will be the results over time. God bless you, and have a wonderful evening. My name is Dr. Josiah Rich, and God bless you.